can be seated. And we'll ask Gary Leach to come right now. And Gary is going to come and read some scripture for us and pray for us this morning. You would uh, open the, your Bibles up to Psalms 86. I'm going to read 1 through 12. And if you would, please stand. The reading of God's Word. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, and you are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I do cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In all the days of my trouble, I call upon you for your answer. For, for you answer me. Excuse me. There is none like you among gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For, you're, for you are great and wondrous, do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Pray with me, please. O Father God, how great you are and mighty and powerful, and you're all knowing, and you know our hearts. And you know our thoughts. And Lord, we are so thankful to meet here in this place and worship with brothers and sisters in Christ, your church. You, uh, you bless us in so many ways. And Lord, that you give us a salvation that's only found in your Son. We live in a broken world and we are broken. Continue to hear our cries to you. Be with us now as we open your word. Be with uh, Pastor Frills as he gives the message. Open our ears and our hearts and allow the Spirit to move and continue to change our hearts and mold us in your image. We ask all this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And seated again uh, this morning, our children can be dismissed for children's church at this time, and our ushers are going to be coming forward right now to take part in taking up the morning offering.
thank you, Luke, Anna, and Emily. That was a wonderful job, and we appreciate you using your gifts and talents to worship, help us worship the Lord this morning. When I ask you to take your Bibles this morning and, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one close to you, and at least the seats you're sitting in are close to you. I ask you to stand with us again as we honor God in the reading of His Word this morning. John, chapter 3. Now I'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together again. Our Father, we bow again before you this morning and we give you praise and thanksgiving for much grace that has been shown to us. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to meet freely in this place to worship you. We know that there are many believers in the world that would cherish the opportunity to meet publicly and openly with other believers as we are this morning. So thank you for this grace as well. We ask this morning, God, that you would remind us of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Remind us of this gospel that, that changes us, Lord, and continues, as Gary prayed, continues to change our hearts and make us more like Jesus. Teach us this morning, Father, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's harvest time right now, and as one of my sons and I were hunting yesterday afternoon in almost 90 degree heat, uh, we could hear the, the uh, farmers taking out their crops out in the field. And, uh, and so we look out this time of year, and you can tell it's harvest time because the corn starts turning a certain color and everything. Of course, the, the farmers are doing their work too. And uh, Jesus said, when it comes to the physical harvest, you can know. You can look and see the fields are white for harvest, and you can know it's time to get to work. But Jesus said when it comes to the spiritual harvest, we're not to think that way. When it comes to the spiritual harvest, we're, spot, we're not supposed to say, you know what? In about four months, it's going to be harvest time. Jesus said no. When it comes to trying to lead people to Jesus and see people get saved, it's always harvest time. There's always an urgency we need to have. The work is to be done right now. One of the things I shared with you about four years ago when I came here as your pastor is uh, the mission of the church that I've just kind of a mission statement that I have, but it's really it's really what any church should have as far as that goes and, and so many words, is I want to lead the church to make disciples who have a missionary mentality that reflect the urgency of John 4.35. Don't say yet four months and then comes the harvest. The harvest time's right now. We want to make disciples like that. In other words, we want to see people get saved, amen? We want to see people really get saved. So there's not two different categories. There's saved people and really saved people, though. There's people that are really saved. We want to see people who, who, have a, who, who, who are saved and love Christ so much that they can't help but go out into the mission field where they work, live, and play, and even around the world 
to tell other people about Christ. That's, that's what we want to do as a church. So how is it that we're going to do that? How, what processes do we have in place as a church or any other local church would as well? When folks come to our membership class, I don't know how many of you have been to our membership classes yet. Some of you have been members here before I came. But the way I've structured the, the membership class is, is in four ways over a six-week period. We talk about beginning, connecting, growing, and engaging. And so what we want to do is we want to take somebody that's not a Christian. This is what we want to do as a church. We want to take somebody that's not a Christian, unchurched, not a believer. And we want to see them begin with a gospel. We want to see them express that commitment to the gospel in believers' baptism if they've never been baptized. Then we want to see them, secondly, connect with a local church. So in part of that membership class, we'll talk about church membership and even church history and even church doctrine. So that person can see why it's important to connect with a local church. Then we want to see that person grow in discipleship. We want to see them not just hanging out here, but but being a part of us, growing by connecting in, in, in discipleship through a small group or a Sunday school class. And so I tell folks when they come to our membership class, listen, if you're not willing to, to go to a small group or Sunday school class, then, then you probably are not ready to become a member yet because you're, you're not exuding the kind of commitment that a church member needs to commit to. So, so we want to see that person begin with the gospel. We want to see them get saved. We want to see them get baptized and not been publicly baptized as a believer. We want to see them connected to the local church. We want to see them growing in discipleship to the point, number four, that they're engaging their mission field, that they're, they're on fire for Jesus. And it's not like they got to wait to that last step to do it. Paul, when he got saved, man, he went right out and started preaching the gospel. When the demon-possessed man was Killed by Jesus, you know, they, they called himself Legion that lived inside of him. He wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, you're not going with me, but go back and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. No, no matter what, what place you're in, see, many of us are in different places in our walk with the Lord as far as our spiritual growth and maturity, but all of us are being engaged in our mission field. And so we want to grow in that and, and be connected to the church where we're even more intentionally engaged in our mission field. So when we do that membership class... Why is it that we, we, we begin with a gospel? Well, right now there's a lot of uh, politicians running for office and so forth, and so one of the things they thrive for is not just to uh, get your vote, but before the vote actually takes place in November, a politician wants endorsements so that they can have the endorsement of someone famous or someone important, so that they can say that that person that's endorsing them would say about this politician, I vouch for them. I endorse them. This is somebody you can trust. This is somebody you should vouch for, you should trust, you should vote for. If we look on the back cover of a book, you'll see endorsements of other famous people or other authors who would say, I endorse this book. I endorse this author. You ought to read it. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to take some time to put some, put some uh, investment into this book and purchase it. What's that got to do with church membership? Why, why begin with the gospel? I love this definition of church membership. Membership, according to Mark Dever, membership is a church's endorsement of a person's salvation. So when we receive someone as a member of this church, what we're saying is this, is we endorse this person. We're not, church membership doesn't save anybody. You understand that. But what we're saying is, based on what this person tells us about the gospel, and based on what we've seen, we're going to receive them and vote on them publicly to become a member of this church because we vouch for them. We believe, based on what they tell us and based on what we're, see, we're seeing right now in their life, that this person is born again. This person is a believer. We're endorsing them publicly as a church. So anyone that's on our church membership role, anyone, and there are hundreds of people on our church membership role, anyone that's on our membership role, we are publicly testifying that, that, that we believe that person's a believer. So what are the implications of that? What are the implications of that for how we receive members? What are the implications for that about how we minister to members, seek to rescue members who are not attending our church any longer? Well, there's a lot of implications for it that we need to think through. So beginning this morning and kind of coming for the last few weeks, we're going to, if you've not been through the membership class, you're going to kind of get a, a, summar, a summarization of it. I'm actually going to teach it again here in a few weeks if you've not been through it yet and want to go through it. But you're going to kind of get that here on Sunday mornings, not the membership class material, 
but some, but the uh, but the gist of what is emphasized in each one. Why begin with the gospel? If we're publicly, why begin a membership class with, let's begin with the gospel. Let's talk about the gospel first. Because if we're publicly endorsing this person, we're publicly saying we believe this person's a Christian, we need to make sure they at least understand the gospel. We can be fooled, but we need to at least start there. The church is comprised of all true believers. That church is God's holy dwelling place. And this local church is, a, is, a, is supposed to be a visible manifestation of God's holy dwelling place made up of people. So what we're saying is all these people that are members of our church, they're God's holy dwelling place. So we've got to begin with the gospel. We, you see, we don't really know what's in a man. And if you've been watching the news here lately, we're reminded of that. People get accused of certain things. We don't know if that person's telling the truth or not. People are saying they didn't do certain things. We really don't know for sure if somebody's telling the truth or not. We don't really know what's in a man. One verse we need to remember, I think, that's helpful for us in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15, says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. We don't really know what's in a man. And when it comes to bringing people into the church, we can ask them what the gospel is. They can tell us what we want to hear. We can observe their lives. But when it comes right down to it, we can't say whether somebody truly is saved or not. That's not what church membership is doing. What we're saying is we believe based on what we've seen and heard. This person is a believer. And as long as they're a member, we're still saying that. But Jesus knows what's in a man, doesn't he? Look at what your Bible says in John chapter 2, verse 23. This is after Jesus had went into the temple. They're selling stuff in the temple. They're cheating people out of money. Jesus, because of His zeal for being Jesus, for being God, says, you've made my house a den of thieves. Get out of here. And then look what He says in verse 23, what the Bible says in chapter 2. Now, when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name. When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Verse 25, and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So here are many people from what they're saying, I guess, it's being concluded they're believing in his name. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but Jesus won't entrust himself to them because he knows what's in man. He knows what that, if they're saving faith there or not. He knows that they're believing based merely on signs and not because they're convicted that He is the Savior. Jesus knows this. He knows all things, first of all. He knows that what man needs, each person here, what we need is a jolt. We need to be jolted like an electric shock to get our attention. We, we need a jolt out of our self-dependence for salvation into Christ dependence, dependence upon God. He knows, and you need to know, that you are not right with God. That's the first point of the message this morning. You are not right with God. Nicodemus is a religious man, comes to Jesus at nighttime. Hopefully you know the story. Comes to Jesus by night. Can you see Nicodemus just sneaking around at nighttime? He's gone on his, maybe his fancy robe was a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And he's walking and he's found out where Jesus is at. Can you just imagine the conversation? Imagine his nervousness and the look on his face. What we see in this passage of Scripture is in verse 1 and 2 and 3. Does Nicodemus ask a question right there in those two verses? No, he, said, he makes a statement, doesn't he? Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He doesn't ask a question, but Jesus goes right in and tells him, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Now, that's because he knows what's in a man. Jesus knows what's in a man. And Jesus knows that Nicodemus is not right with God. Jesus knows that Nicodemus really wants to know how to enter the kingdom of God. And so what I want you to understand is who you are doesn't make you right with God. What is Nicodemus? Look at verse 1. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler. And a lot of the Pharisees thought they were right with God because of who they are. 
because they kept, even then they also thought because of keeping the law, just like Paul once thought before he got saved and realized his righteousness comes from God and is not from himself. Who you are won't make you right with God, and what you do won't make you right with God, even though you're a Pharisee trying to keep God's law. And what you know doesn't make you right with God. Look at verse 2 again. What does Nicodemus say? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In the Apostles' Creed study our youth have been going through, we've been going through on Sunday nights, Matt Chandler does a good job in the opening statement of the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe... Well, he, he makes it clear, remind us, it doesn't say, I know, but it says, I believe. There's a difference. There's a difference between knowing something and actually trusting and relying upon and depending upon something. What you know won't make you right with God. He knows that Jesus is a great teacher. He's, he's seen the, the signs that Jesus has been doing. He can't deny that God must be with him. He's not like some are attributing these things that Jesus is doing to the work of the devil. He's saying that God is with him. But he's falling short of saying other things about who Jesus is. One of the things that we try to emphasize in our membership class has to do with baptism. There are some groups and denominations that baptize babies. And that's wrong. The Bible doesn't teach to do that. There are some groups that say that... uh, you baptize the baby, and that actually saves the baby. <laughs> baby saved. We call that baptismal regeneration. It's a false teaching. It's a heretical teaching straight from the pits of hell. Baptism does not make you right with God. Then there are other groups who baptize infants, and they don't say that that makes the child right with God. Presbyterians, for example. And what they do is they teach their child that's baptized as an infant that later on in life that that child must profess faith in the Lord Jesus and be born again. All right, they've got this understanding about the, the old covenant and new covenant and so forth, so they baptize as infants. The danger in that is is that that child may grow up if the parents don't take the time to teach rightly, thinking that they are right with God because they were baptized. I want you to look at verse four, or excuse me, look at Jesus' response in verse three, and just just notice again what Jesus says must happen. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what Nicodemus really wants to know is how he can enter the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter into in time, and enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And that's the whole point here. You can't. Nicodemus, you can't be born again. You can't do it yourself. He's supposed to be jolted out, he's white-knuckled in his dependence upon himself as a Pharisee and who he is and what he knows and what he does and all of this. And Jesus is trying to jolt him, helping to realize, let go of your self-dependence. You need something else outside yourself. You can't born again yourself. That's the whole point, Nicodemus. You can't do this. You are not right with God. And so... I look around this morning, and as we do each Sunday morning, I see a lot of young families and with uh, children sitting beside you this morning, and you're, you're doing good. You're here. They're with you. And praise God for that grace this morning. We're reminded that as uh, we're seeking to make disciples, you know, on our mission field, that... Your mission field's sitting right beside you this morning. Mine's sitting right here on the front row with my wife. That's part of my mission field. It's not that I don't want to cop out and say, well, my mission field's my kids and I don't worry about nobody else. That's a cop out. No. But my, my, my mission field is my family, though. And so part of my responsibility as a dad is to disciple my family, disciple my children, and help them understand that they're not right with God. And so one of the things I hear people emphasize, rightly so, is, well, nobody messed with my dad when I was growing up because my dad, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't take it from nobody. You know, you walked in a room and he would, you wouldn't, you'd straightened up right away. Well, maybe that was a good thing that your dad was a disciplinarian like that. But let me add something to that. It's not enough for your kids to know who's boss. They need to know who's sovereign. They didn't know who God is. And just because you walk in the room and they straighten up 
and they do what they're told, do they fear the living God? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 tells us to raise them in the nurture, admonition, the discipline, and instruction of the Lord. So it's one thing to spank their hind end if you spank. But it's another thing to say, this is why I'm spanking you, or this is why I'm punishing you. It's because your, your heart's not right with God. There's something on the inside that's not right. Now, folks, we need to do that as parents or grandparents even, but we also need to do that with our friends and neighbors on our mission field. We need to do that as we bring people into the church and talk with them about whether or not they've come to the place in their life where they understand that they're not right with God, that they need something outside themselves to change them on the inside. You're not right with God. Secondly, you must be changed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we learn from the story about Nicodemus. You must be changed by the Holy Spirit. My wife's vivid memory of being in labor with her first son, our first son, Josiah, uh, is the smell of beef jerky in the delivery room. Is that not correct, honey? And uh, we had went to uh, one of them classes, you know, before having your first kid. And and they told the husbands, make sure you bring some snacks because this could go on for a long time. So I had me some snacks ready. I had beef jerky. And so before the hard labor took place, I was eating that beef jerky, buddy. And uh, I had to have my energy up because this is hard work. Don't throw anything at me, ladies. No, the fact of the matter is I had nothing to do with the labor. In fact, Josiah had nothing to do with the labor either. It wasn't as if he was there nine months in the womb and suddenly opened his eyes and said, Oh, it's dark in here. I want out of here right now. I don't like this. No, he didn't born himself. I didn't help out. In fact, really, God's the one that caused it. The point here is, is that God is the one that causes natural birth. God is the one that causes physical birth. You don't, Nicodemus, you don't, you didn't born yourself the first time. You're not going to born again yourself. You don't give birth to yourself physically. You can't do it spiritually either. Look at what your Bible says in verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What Nicodemus needs to understand, you need to be born of water and the Spirit. This is not a work of man. It's just that straightforward. This is not a work of man being born again. Your works won't change you, folks, and neither will water. The reason I need to emphasize that again is notice what it says. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Some people think water means something about physical birth. But a lot of people see water, and every time they see it, they're thinking baptism. But when it says water and the Spirit, water here signifies the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. The water and the Spirit. There's one one thing here that's modifying both those actions, both those verbs, born of, born of water, both those nouns, but water and the Spirit. This, so that it's the Spirit that cleanses us. It's reference, I believe, to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. God promised one day in this new covenant that He would ratify through the coming of the Messiah that clean water would be sprinkled on them. He, they would be given a new heart. This is talking about something spiritual happening to them, not a physical heart, but something they couldn't do to themselves. It wasn't that they could take a knife and say, You think I need a new heart? I think I'm going to cut this out, get me another and put it there. You can't do that. What he's talking about is, is, is a, being a completely new person. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The washing of what? Of baptism? That's not what's talking about baptism by being in water. It's the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing both these things. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that's His work. The Holy Spirit's doing that. He's regenerating us. He's washing us. He's cleansing us. So when it says here, to be born of water and the Spirit, it means to be washed 
clean of your sins by the work of the Holy Spirit, His regenerating work. So when we refer to church membership, we call it regenerate church membership. Somebody that's been regenerated, made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit. Something from the outside must change you on the inside and make you a completely new person. Verse 6 says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You born in the flesh? Anybody here not born in the flesh? Well, every single one of us are, ain't we? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be changed from the inside out. You must be a completely new person changed by the Spirit. Otherwise, if you've not been born again, if you got baptized and you're a baby, but you've not been born again, you've done this, you've done that, you've tried to be good all your life, you're still in the flesh. You've got to be born again. Sometimes people talk about, oh, you're one of those born-again Christians. Well, I thought that was the only kind. And it is. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're a born-again Christian or you're not a Christian. You've got to be changed. So salvation is not a work of man. It's a sovereign work of God. Look at verse 7 and 8. Notice how he talks about the wind in verse 7 and 8. There was somebody on television yesterday. My boys were watching about storm chasers. And this guy was chasing a storm. And the tornado turned around on him and flipped his, flipped his van over. And, and, uh, and all the guy, four of the people inside the van, none of them got killed. But it flipped them about 200 yards. And he talked later and cried about, this man did, about how terrified he was. And he said, I would never, never wish to go through something like that again. And I'm thinking... There's something worse than that. It's the judgment of God in hell. What you need to understand, just like you can't control the wind, that what you need is God to do a sovereign work in you. Because you have a problem much bigger than any tornado that you got caught up getting chased in. Your problem is with God. You're not right with God. The wind blows where it will. You can't control the wind. You can't manipulate the wind. You can't even see it coming, really. You can't do anything about this in and of yourself. You need God. And brothers and sisters, some of you, some of you have enormous problems this morning that you come here with and things you're experiencing. And I want to remind you, our God is bigger. We serve a Big God and a sovereign God. He can make dry bones live, folks. He can breathe into dry bones and make them live according to the book of Ezekiel. He he raises the dead to life. He can take care of everything we're going through. You're not right with God. You need to be changed by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you need to believe only in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, he's coming to Jesus at night, and what he really is asking is, how do I get to heaven? How can I enter the kingdom of God? How can I see the kingdom of God? If you wanted to get somewhere, find directions somewhere you hadn't been before, the best thing to do is to ask somebody that's from that location, right? Hey, you're from so and such and such. Tell me how to get there. Well, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, Nicodemus in verse 9, you... You're a teacher. You ought to understand these things. You ought to understand that Ezekiel talked about how you needed a new heart. You're a teacher of the law after all. Don't you know this? Ezekiel, nobody has has ascended into heaven except the one who ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, you're talking to somebody about how to go to heaven. You're talking to somebody that's from heaven. You're talking about somebody that ascended from heaven. I am the. Do you realize, Nicodemus, who you're talking to? You're saying I do these things because God is with me. Do you understand who you're talking to, Nicodemus? You understand where I'm from? You need to think this through, Nicodemus. You're talking to the Son of the Living God. So there's two barriers here we've seen so far this morning. One is this Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He goes to church all the time. He's a good guy. He's even a Jew. There's a lot of pride here, isn't there? Isn't there a barrier of pride? 
And the second barrier is Nicodemus. Not only do you have a lot of pride, you have no power. Because you can't cause yourself, you need to be changed, Nicodemus. And your pride says, no, I'm okay the way I am. Nicodemus, you need to be changed and you can't change yourself. You, you can't even do this. You don't have power. You, don't, you have a lot of pride. You don't have any power. So here's the question. How can someone be born again? The answer is to believe only in Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on and tells him. You appropriate what God's done through faith in Jesus. Yesterday I was working on in the garage because our garage door opener got messed up. So I didn't want to pay a bunch of money and started feeling around and figured out the chain had popped off on the garage door opener. I got up on this ladder and stuck my fingers up in there and tried to pull the chain back. I didn't know you're supposed to loosen the tensioner first, and I didn't. My finger got trapped inside of it, and I'm standing up on this ladder. My wife's in Indiana, and my two boys are upstairs. They can't hear me, and my finger's like this, and I'm up on the ladder like this. And the first thing I think of is, all right, I need to get my phone and call 911 because I can't get my finger out. Or the second thing is I could scream at my boys, boys, get down here. And they wouldn't know what to do. And then I thought I could cut my finger off. Or I, I can try to pull it out. And if my finger gets cut off, it gets cut off because I may pass out up here. This is how bad this hurts. Finally, I, I did pull it real hard. And I thought, okay, I'm going to jerk my finger off. <laughs> and I jerked and it came out. You know, my instinct in that moment was to do all that I could do. But your preacher, your pastor did not think to stop and pray, Oh God, please get my finger out of this mess. Because our natural instinct, no matter what it is in life, is to take things into our own hands. When it comes to salvation, we need something done to the inside of us from somebody outside of us. So Jesus tells Nicodemus a story about a time in the Old Testament when God's people were rebelling, God sent a bunch of snakes among them. God sent these snakes and bit all the people. And they started dying. You remember the story? And... The people cried out, we're dying from these venomous snake bites. This poison's going through our veins. And what the people could have done, their natural response could have been, let's suck the venom out of our veins. <laughs> let's cut our fingers off where they bit us on the finger, cut our arm off. Whatever, what, whatever could we do? But there was nothing they could do. But God provided, God took a bronze serpent. God told Moses to take a bronze serpent put it up on a stick for everybody to see, and anybody that simply looks at that bronze serpent will live. Now look at what your Bible says in verse 14 about the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And Jesus is simply saying to Nicodemus and each and every one of us, there is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God or to change yourself it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And the way you're changed by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, is to believe only in Jesus Christ. Trust only in what Jesus has done. Now, yesterday I was having a conversation. My, me and my son were listening to the radio, we listening to the politics and stuff, and he was asking me questions about it. And he said, Dad? President Trump, Christian. And uh, I said, son, I don't know what's in a man. In so many words, I said that. But son, I said, I don't think so, based on how he talks to people and how he acts. I'm thankful for a lot of things that I think God's using him for to do. But, but no, I don't think he is. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I don't think so, based on the fruit I'm seeing. But I said, son, what is a Christian? And immediately he shot back a follower. And I was real proud to hear him say that. That's right, son. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. And so when I'm thinking of somebody that's a Christian, it's not just somebody that says they are or somebody that's got a Bible. It's somebody that they're known for being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's somebody that's born again.
What would somebody say about you if you, if you were asked, somebody asked about you, somebody else was talking about you, and they said, hey, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? What, what would they conclude? What is a Christian? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish for everlasting life. Whoever believes. So what's this belief that's important? Remember what Jesus is doing Nicodemus? He's Nicodemus is white-knuckled in his independence, his self-dependence. And Jesus is seeking to jolt him out of his dependence upon himself as his own Savior. What needs to happen is he needs to, this belief needs to be a dependence alone upon what God has done through Jesus Christ. To look up to Christ and depend on Him alone. To follow Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning. Are you trusting only in Jesus Christ? Folks, when it comes to bringing people in as members of our church, the conversation we're, we're always going to have is, hey, what is the gospel? This is what I ask folks. And sometimes they say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I say, well, that's not what I mean. What is the good news of Jesus? And we talk about that in a membership class. And I talk with that folks one-on-one too who want to join our church. Or you, you say you're saved. Tell me what the word saved means. What do you mean by the word saved? Okay, so you say you're saved. You're telling me things about the gospel. And we've got I've got to know you a little bit over the past few weeks. Not real well, but maybe, but or since you've been coming here, but tell me about your life. How's your life been changed as a follower of Jesus? Show me, tell me a bit about the fruit in your life. And so we talk about that. Most of the time it seems as if we come out of that conversation thinking, yeah, okay, praise the Lord. Maybe you're not articulating things as well as you could because of, of where you're at in your, in your spiritual maturity, but, but based on what you're saying, based on what I'm seeing, yeah, I, I, believe, I believe this person's probably a Christian. I'm willing to recommend them to the church to be voted on. What I'm saying to you is when you engage people on your mission field, whether that's family or people out in the workplace, that's the kind of questions you need to be asking them. Somebody says, I'm saved? Like, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad to hear you're saved. Well, what's that mean? What do you mean by, that, by the word saved? You need to be a follower of Christ. One thing I would challenge you on is this. Just to remind you of, if you're talking with somebody about the Lord, is um, remember James 2.19. And most of the time when I'm talking with a, somebody, I talked with a, somebody last Sunday morning after the service, one of our young people about baptism. And, and usually I'll ask this from James 2.19. You know what? The devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Uh, why, why, why is the devil not going to heaven? Because the devil doesn't want to, he doesn't love Jesus and doesn't want to follow Jesus. He's not dependent upon Jesus. He, he's doing his own thing. So, so are you wanting to be a follower of Jesus? This is what it comes down to, folks. This is the kind of saving faith. It's not this easy believism, yeah, I believe the facts. It's I believe and I want to follow him. Follow Christ. And your first act of obedience as a believer should be to be publicly baptized. And if you're here today and you believe you've been born again. You believe that God's worked that way in your life. Whether you can name the time and place or not, right now is where it matters. Can you tell me right now that you are following Christ, that you're a believer in Jesus? That's what really matters. Then have you been publicly baptized as a believer in Jesus? We'd love to talk with you about that as well. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Our Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you that what we could not do ourselves that you have done for us through your son Jesus. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for doing this sovereign work in us. That For those of us who have been saved, we thank you for faith and repentance been given to us by God. We pray that you do that in the hearts of others around us and in our lives and on our mission field. Even those that may be here this morning who are not saved, we pray that they would be. Father, we pray that we would be on our mission fields, whether that be in our homes or in our neighborhoods, wherever it might be, God, that we would seek, as Jesus does, to jolt people with the gospel, to help people really think about whether or not they're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
So, Lord, use us and help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and we're going to sing this closing song together. As we sing, if you want to come, and we can talk and pray about anything you'd like to at all this morning. We can talk with you about where you stand with the Lord or about baptism. We can also do that after the service too. But you come if God's speaking right now. And let's sing together and worship our God together this morning. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.